I believe Jesus is here in our midst. Do you believe that? He said, where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Do you believe it? I'm going to talk about belief today. I'm going to talk about how important it is. It's, it's a center stage with the Christian. I talked about it here a few weeks ago about the faith of Abraham. I'll not repeat that, but going in another direction. Matthew chapter 17, I've got quite a few passages I'm going to go to today. Don't let that bother you. If you can't get to them and don't spend your time going to them while I'm reading them because then you may not get what's in them. And the important part of being here is not so much taking notes. It's more getting what's being said. Now taking notes may help you get what's said, but if it doesn't, sometimes it'll distract you from that. I'm not real big on taking notes in church. Uh, Matthew 17, chapter 14, uh, verse uh, 14 through 20. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. Now that's, I don't know about you, but those are tough words. If I would call you that this morning, James, he addresses the church in the fourth chapter, I believe it is, of the book of James, he addresses the church. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? He's talking to Christian people. What in the world? But Jesus said, if you look on a woman that lusts after her, you committed adultery in your heart. So I suppose I could say fairly safely that we're a bunch of adulterers and adulteresses, if not physically, mentally, visually, especially with YouTube and all the junk that's on the phone. Wow. And maybe we think a little too highly of ourselves. The Bible does not. And so this kid was in bad shape. I don't know what he had. Today we'd probably name it. We'd probably call it epilepsy or we'd call it having a fit or a seizure or some sort of a thing. Just because people name it doesn't mean they know what it is. And they brought him to disciples and he couldn't care. So he says to them, O faithless perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and how long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Oh, what I have loved to have been there during this. Think of what the disciples, the apostles, and, and the people around them got to see. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. That's the book of Timothy. He was God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed unto the world, received up into glory. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was no less than that. He said, before Abraham, 8th chapter John, I am. That was what was used with Moses in Exodus chapter 13, verse 14. He's God of very God. He's a creator of all that is. The Bible says in Colossians, there's nothing that wasn't created he didn't make. Visible and invisible. Whether the principalities or powers or thrones or dominions, just to make sure he covered it all. Things above the earth, things on the earth, and things under the earth, just to make sure he didn't miss anything. He did it all. Now, he's manifest in the flesh. He's made in the form of a servant here. He 
He took on a human body, sinless human body, because he did not have a man involved in it. His birth only involved a woman and the Holy Spirit. Man is who carries the evil nature. So if you women could figure out how to have children without us, you'd be all right. We pass on the evil nature. Why do we get that wonderful, uh, notable, infamous task? Because men were created first and were the head of everything. And women were created for men. And all the men said, I don't care what the liberals say. I don't care what the feminists say. That's Bible. That's the word of God. I ask you a question. Do you believe it? Because that's what this is going to be all about today. And he says, he, he was tough on them. Jesus rebuked the devil. That's it. The word demonos, a demon. And he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. And his, and he came to his disciples to Jesus apart. When they were private, they said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, and this is the theme of what we're going to talk about for a few minutes here, be, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, and that's a, basically a grain of sand, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence yonder place, it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Now, people have taken exception to that. I believe uh, the, when he's talking about the mountain, he's talking about lots of things. It could be anything in your life. What's a mountain in your life? What's an unmovable object? What's something impossible to you? I did want to mention in verse 18, when he rebuked the demon, I went back and did a survey of all the miracles that Jesus did and I believe he did thir- recorded in the, in the Gospels 34 miracles. He did had 48 parables and 34 miracles. And out of those 34 miracles, 25% of them were demon-caused problems. Now think about it this way. If that's representative of the average, of 25% of the problems we have, physical problems, mental problems, 25% of them in the Bible were demonic, were directly credited to the demons, the, the demonic forces, the devil, okay? That's, that's no wiggle room there. Would it be any better today? Would it be any better? We've named everything and relegated everything, but it doesn't mean that we know what it is or why it is. So it says, because of your unbelief. And then he gave them that tremendous passage. He said, this, if you say to this mountain, you have enough faith, you'd move. Well, how be it, he says, this kind not goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So there's conditions to answer prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, 15. If you go back and look at it later, it'll help you. We don't command God. The Pentecostals are wrong on that. They're real. They're dead wrong. You don't command God. If you pray in the will of God, he says it'll happen. 
If you don't, if you don't pray in the will of God, James says you, you don't receive answer prayer because you guys are praying for stuff that's not God's will. He uses the word amiss. You're praying amiss. You're praying for, for stupid stuff and for material stuff and for temporal stuff that God doesn't value, and he's not going to help you. He's not going to help to destroy you. And so it's a lot of that he says no. I do believe God answers all prayer, however. He says yes, no. He says yes, no, wait. He answers prayer. I'm 71 now. Wait a minute, that was a mistake. I'm only 70. I'm still 70. Excuse me. At 70 years old. Uh, I've, you know, it's, I wish I could bequeath. I wish I could, I could take Chris Barrows and do the Vulcan mind mill. But there is no Vulcan mind mill. I wish I could give him my experiential knowledge of life and just give it to him at 30 years old, I'm 29 years old, and man would help him out. But God didn't ordain it to be that way. Every generation must learn on their own. And if I may say relearn, relearn and relearn, and then your, your kids got to relearn, and then their kids got to relearn. That's God's way. He says you need to believe. Faith is a catalyst. I don't know if any of you out here ever dealt with uh, fiberglass. I've done a little bit of fiberglassing. We build a boat. My brother and I build a boat. We, bu we bought a hull, and we build all the inside of the boat, gas tanks, wiring, all the inside of the boat. We fiberglassed it. And I learned a lot about fiberglass. First of all, I hate it. Number two, uh, you better wear a hazmat suit or you'll be itching for the rest of your life, when you, especially when you grind it. And then, uh, but I learned something about what they call catalysts. I wasn't real familiar with catalysts, but you take a gallon of uh, resin and it's neutral. It'll never dry. Paint it all you want, it'll never dry. It, it'll stay wet like that. I, I don't know, maybe forever is big, right? But it'll stay wet. It won't help you. But you take this little bottle, this little bottle. You've got this one whole gallon of, of resin. You take this little bottle of what they call catalyst, and you pour that thing in there. And you can vary, as you use the fiberglass, you can vary how quick you want it to set. And I, I remember one guy in a fiberglass store uh, went to a boat place where they were getting some help and we were getting some advice, went to a place where they're making boats. And a guy ran outside with a, with a uh, paintbrush in a, in a gallon bucket and it was smoking and, and making all kinds of noise and boiling. He threw that thing out the door. He put too much catalyst in it. You put too much catalyst in that thing, and boom, man, it'll like light up, it'll fire up. You put too little catalyst in it. Now, you can, you can get away with that. It just takes a much longer to dry. But a catalyst is what makes it happen. A catalyst is what makes the resin worthwhile. And in your life and my life, there's one thing that makes God move for you, and that's faith. That's belief. If you believe what he says... He, and, and really believe it, he'll help you, and the power of God, like that old resin, will be released in your life. Unbelief is the ultimate evil and foundation, I believe, of all sin. If you go back to the garden, it was unbelief that caused Eve to eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree. 
She did not believe God. She believed the devil when he told her this God's holding back on you and he's not telling you everything you need to know. And if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him and you'll know the difference between good and evil. Well, how's it going so far? He lied. She believed the devil over God who had made her, placed her in the garden, taken part of her out of Adam and made made her made her out of Adam and they were two became one flesh and it was a it was if it was the uh, happiest marriage that's ever been until the fall. Soon as they ate of that fruit, they had a disagreement. What what clothes should I wear? Unbelief is a horrible sin. It's the foundation of all sin. It was unbelief that caused Abraham to lie about who his wife was. Now, I, I never have figured out he got away with that. The only thing I can tell you, Sarah was a mighty fine woman, as expressed in 1 Peter chapter 3. She was an unbelievably uh, submissive woman, trusting woman, and she trusted in her husband. I mean, gave basically yourself in every way you can give yourself to a man. She did it. But it was unbelief that caused Abraham her husband, to lie about her. He was afraid. He was trying to save his own hide. It was unbelief that caused Rebekah, that's the mother of Esau and Jacob. It was unbelief that caused Rebekah to lie, that, that caused, she encouraged Jacob to lie to her, her father, or his daddy, excuse me. I'm going to get this right. And pretend to be Esau so he could get the blessing. That's low. I don't know about you. Don't you think that's low? What he did to Esau was low. And Rebecca, that was not her shining moment. That was not her shining moment. That was awful, pitting one brother against the other because she, favoritism, she liked Esau. She, did, she liked uh, Jacob. She didn't like Esau. Esau was a hairy man. Jacob was a smooth-skinned man. And evidently, you know, women like that smooth skin deal and all that stuff. Guys shave themselves and all this other stuff. Boy, it's terrible. She liked that old smooth skin son of hers, but she didn't like that old hairy boy. By the way, it was red hair, red hair. It was unbelief that caused the death of possibly 25 billion people. After Noah preached 120 years, he preached righteousness. Every time the sound of his hammer hitting the percussion of one of those rivets or however he built the ark, every time his hammer hit that and the percussion of that was a witness against their unbelief. He said, it's going to flood. There's going to be rain. They'd never seen rain. They didn't know flood. That was something never seen. And just because you've never seen it, and just because you've never heard of it, doesn't make it so. Not so. That's what I mean. Oh, I don't believe it. People say, I don't believe in hell. It don't make any difference whether you believe in hell. The only difference it's going to make is you're going to go there or not. If you don't believe there's a hell, you're going to end up in hell. If you believe the Bible and there's a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained, then you'll miss hell. Because you'll go to Christ in faith and believe that he died for you and gave himself for you, and you'll be saved. Unbelief. It was unbelief that caused Peter to sink 
into the water rather than walk on it. He had enough faith to walk to Jesus, but then it got to him. He looked around a little bit, and he couldn't take it. It was just, it was wild. He sunk. Let me say, make a statement here. Unbelief is your and my arch enemy in the Christian walk. You, you, may, you may have thought I would have said, you know, immorality is your arch enemy or uh, covetousness is your arch enemy or other things could be, you know, there's a lot of 49 plus sins mentioned in the Bible. There's a lot of other things that could be your arch enemy, but all of them are based on unbelief. If I brought a big old diamondback rattlesnake, and the other day my neighbor caught a six-foot diamondback. I sent a birthday card or something. Or I sent that on a card to people. And uh, I, was, I was lifting it. It was this high. It was still six feet. And I uh, had a head as big as my hand. If I had that old rattlesnake kept it alive here today and brought in a sack, and I threw that sack, I said, now look, for you that believe this rattlesnake could harm you, you run. Or for you that don't believe, just stay in your seats. But that's what it would be based on. The only reason you'd run is because you're afraid of that rattlesnake. It's going to hurt you. You believe it. And you move. Amen? Faith motivates you. Our unbelief is an arch enemy of our Christian walk. Unbelief, let me, let me make a few statements. Unbelief is an evil sin. Do not underestimate it. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from a living God. Unbelief will strip you of the rest that God has and has for you and for me. It'll strip you of it. It'll strip you of the good things God wants for you. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The Old Testament records the, the nation of Israel and their, their, mostly their failure because they simply didn't believe God. That's how important is it to read the Old Testament? It's vitally important. First of all, it's the Bible. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. That's in 2 Timothy. And that was written before the New Testament was put together. So when it's talking about all scriptures given by inspiration of God, he's specifically talking about Genesis to Malachi, the 39 books of the Old Testament. And, of course, he's talking about that which had not even been gathered together yet which was the New Testament, which we know to be the New Testament. But when God does it, he puts it together, he preserves it, and he's able to do that. People that have trouble believing the Bible, it's unbelief again. They don't believe God, his word. Don't you be that way. Unbelief will limit God. Unbelief is the ultimate evil, number one. Number two, unbelief will limit God. Let me read... And uh, let's, I'm going to take my. I'm actually going to take my Bible and read something. You don't see me do this very much. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 13. Or let's see, Matthew chapter 13. Yeah, verse 53 through 58. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables and he departed thence, he was coming to his own country and he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished. And he said, once. They said, once hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? So what was the rumor on the street? 
They didn't believe in a virgin birth. I mean, come on. They believed Joseph was his dad. He's a carpenter's son. Joseph was his dad. Mary was his mother. But for the Catholics, they struggle on this. This path, they wish this wasn't in the Bible, I'm sure. And and his brothers, brethren, James, Joseph, uh, Simon, and Judas. So he had four physical brothers. And more than that, he had some sisters, which means more than one. And, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and among his own house. And I'll say amen to that. And he did not so he did not many mighty works there because of what? Their unbelief. They could have seen the kind of works that had been done all over the place that had been heard, but they didn't because unbelief limits God's power in your life. Go home with that. Don't let you go by it. God sets up situations in your life called testings that are going to cause you to either believe him or not believe him. You're going to either believe it. It's going to seem impossible to believe God, and God's way is going to seem impossible. You're going to say yes or no, or you're going to believe your own conscience or maybe some advice, worldly wisdom. You're going to take that one or the other. If you, if you trust God on something he leads you to do, you're going to see his power. You're going to see his miraculous power. God still does miracles like he always did. Now, the miracle periods of time are not, periods in the Bible, there's three of them, are not like what we have right now, but we, we see God. Are you saved? This, how many in here say they're born again? Raise their hand. You are an absolute miracle of God. You've been birthed from above. You believe the purport of the gospel. You've accepted the Savior's yours. You've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Your name's been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's going to prepare a place for you. Someday you'll, be, you'll die, be resurrected, be given a body like unto his glorious body and be able to spend eternity serving him. That's miraculous. That's big. But he couldn't do many. I got that verse 58. It says he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. That's, that's just amazing. That's just amazing. The literally, 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 their unbelief held the power of God back. It was available, but it held it back. We read in our in our text passage there, Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 through 20. It was because of their unbelief that this maniac could not be healed, held back the power of God. The unbelief will hold, also hold back people's willingness to accept the truth. In Mark chapter 16, verse 11, it says, And they, when they had heard that he was alive, he had sent from those who had seen him after the resurrection, they believed not. Mary Magdalene came back and says, I've seen the Lord. Some others came back on the road to Emmaus and said, we, we talked to the Lord. They didn't believe. In Mark, Mark 16, 13, And they went and told it to the residue, neither believed they them. And then in verse 14, he says, Afterward, he appeared at his Jesus under the eleven, and they sat at meat while they were eating, and he upbraided them. How would you like to be upbraided by the Lord Jesus Christ himself? That's what he did. Why did he do it? With their unbelief and hardness of heart, 
because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So unbelief will limit the miracles of God. Unbelief will limit the power of God. Unbelief will limit the acceptance of truth. Just like unbelief destroyed the children of Israel in the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 11, verse 20, it says, Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest because of faith, be not high-minded but fear. And what I mean by that, what that passage is, without reading the whole thing in chapter 11 there, it talks about the regathering of Israel and how they fell away. And chapter 9, 10, and 11 of Romans is devoted to Israel and how they just didn't seem to want to believe God. And he finally had to turn. He came, even when Jesus was incarnated through Mary, and he came to his own, his Bible says his own received him not. He came to his own. He was a Jew, born of a Jew to the Jewish nation, and they rejected him. So he turned to, guess what? You and me. We're a bunch of Gentiles. Now, there may be a Jew or so by birth in this room. You may not even know it because the records may have been lost. But whatever the case, most of us are old, old idol-worshiping heathen. We go back far. Why don't I want to look at my genealogy? Because it isn't pretty. I'm an old junkyard dog, and so are you. Oh, I was born from royalty. Some of the most wicked people on earth have been royalty. Or call themselves, first of all, they're wicked, calling themselves royalty. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest among you, be the servant of everybody. Oh, I'm over that. I am. The nation of Israel failed because of unbelief. They failed. And he said, you stand. You Gentiles that have received the gospel that they rejected, you stand because of faith. You stand because of belief. That's why you stand. What I like about this whole subject of unbelief is, one thing I like about it is that unbelief itself will not stop God ultimately. It won't. It won't. In Romans chapter 3, verse 3, he says, for what? If some did not believe, and then he asked the question, shall their belief make the faith of God without effect? Shall their unbelief make God's plan fail? That's what I'm basically saying. Can the unbelief of people, we may be coming to a generation of unbelief, this next generation or so, maybe entering into a generation of unbelief. Maybe, remember, when, when Noah preached, his whole generation and every generation, nobody believed it, eight people. We've seen it happen nation to nation. Scotland used to be the hotbed of the gospel. Now it's the graveyard of missionaries. England used to be the hotbed of missions. Now there's no missions. Missionaries are being sent to, being sent to England now. They turned away. God turned away from them. Beware. Beware. It will not stop God's ultimate plan. It won't do it. Let me read it. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? The answer in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, is an exclamatory statement. God forbid. Or said maybe like this. 
God forbid. Will their unbelief stop God? God forbid. The devil thought possibly that Israel's unbelief when Jesus came and their crucifixion of him, he had won. But you couldn't stop God. The actual death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the very catalyst that the world might be saved. In fact, the gospel went past the, Gen- went past the Jews and went, went to the Samaritans and went to the uttermost part of the world because of their rejection. You can't stop God's plan ultimately. The devil's tried to stop it every way, but possibly he's tried to pollute the line of Christ. He couldn't do it. He tried to kill Christ when he was two years old through Herod. He couldn't do it. He's been after him every time. Eventually, he got him and crucified him to his own demise because God's playing chess. And he's four or five moves out above the devil. The very thing he thought he won on, he lost. The Bible says the crucifixion of Christ and resurrection destroyed the power of the devil. He, had no, he lost it. Oh, I'd love to have heard him squeal, squeal and scream when that happened. But unbelief will not limit God's ultimate work in your life. God will come to you if you don't believe and he'll chastise you and he'll move upon you and he'll 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 shake you. Something will come in to shake you to your foundation so that your faith will resurrect, so that you'll believe again, so that you'll grab it again. Maybe you got cold. Maybe you got indifferent. Maybe you got got sorry, but God will bring something in because Hebrews chapter 12 says we're children as born-again believers. He's not going to let you go out there. Just like a mom and dad ain't going to let his kids go out there as much as possible. They'll try to bring them back and bring them back and help them. Eventually, make them wake up. God will do the same for you and me. He's not going to let our unbelief. He's going to work with you. He's going to bring hard things to you. When I got saved, man, that's just the beginning of my Christian experience. One hard thing after another hard thing after another hard thing God has brought into my life. One challenge after another challenge after another challenge. I just get done with one, and I'm like looking around. I get a little rest period. You get a little rest period. And then God brings another challenge up. You say, well, maybe that's the last one. That's the last one. The last one is when you get, whoop, when you're gone. Hey, the game's not over till it's over. You know the challenge of being old? You do know the challenge of being old. Many of you know the challenge of being old, don't you? Sometimes one of the challenges is, what's the sin of old age? Pride. Pride of life. You accumulated some money. You accumulate some position. You accumulate some fame. You accumulate some, some wisdom. And you can walk around like you're hotsy-totsy. You're still the 18-year-old, 17, 16-year-old kid you ever were by the grace of God in God's eyes. The older you get, the smaller you need to think of yourself, not the bigger. I wrote, myself a, I wrote myself a birthday card. My birthday's coming up, if you want to know. <laughs> Don't send me anything. No, it's okay. December 23rd. <laughs> Don't send me anything. I'm not trying to get anything. But I wrote myself a birthday card. I write you birthday cards. Well, you know, the computer spit that card out, and I had to write something on it. I said, Bill, I tell. I said, okay, Bill, I tell the Bill, I tell. I wrote it out. I got it on my fridge. 
against my wife's will. Because I am the man of my house. That felt good. The card said, Billy, not Bill. Billy. When I was small, they called me Billy. Billy, be small in your own eyes and take a beating for Jesus. Sign, Bill. (laughs) It's not about our strength or our might. It's about the strength of our God and his might. And it's about how big your God is. How big is your God today? Is he able to come and help you? You say, but he didn't come. Don't put a time limit on him. Don't put a time limit on God. He'll come when it's time to come. He'll answer when it's time to answer, but he will answer. Do you have faith? Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the testimony that God has preserved, miraculously preserved? Let me say, if you look at the Bible like other books, well, hey, the Bible's no big thing, you just don't know about the Bible. You just haven't studied the background and how it was written and who wrote it and how it's been preserved. There's nothing, no, nada, a little Spanish. There's no other book like the Bible. No other book. Study apologetics a little bit. It'll make you believe that there, this Bible is a God-sent, God-preserved, God-breathed book that only God could do because man would destroy it, corrupt it, and muddy it up if at all possible. And in spite of man's unbelief, here we have the Bible. Man's unbelief couldn't stop it. Man's unbelief couldn't stop Jesus. And man's unbelief won't stop your salvation if you'll trust him as your personal savior. With a little bit of grain of mustard seed faith, God said, you come. Believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day for your sin, and you're a sinner unable to save yourself by any amount of good works. You can be saved. Wow. And have eternity with God. Father in heaven, thank you for the few minutes we've had together. Pray that the power of the Holy Spirit may be present at this moment, that you would help, Father, there would be belief in the simple recorded word of God. Supernatural as it is, cannot be explained really. Supernaturally, come at this moment. Save some people. Help the Christians that are discouraged or jump back up on the train and get it back on. To believe in God. If you believe the Bible, you're going to want to read it or listen to it. If you believe it and you think it is what God said it was, you wouldn't let anything stop you from reading it and from digesting it and from inculcating it into your world. Because this is a very God-given word from heaven. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.